Welcome back, Hemming Brainiacs, to the Hemming Brainiac List podcast. We are talking about Book Six, Chapter Twenty Five. A little bit of a uh, little bit of unintentional vocal fry going on in my voice right now, um, which is super annoying because vocal fry is the most annoying thing ever to listen to and my voice is fried i think it's just genuine friedness it's not that put on vocal fry that people do if you don't know what vocal fry is don't look it up don't find out because then you'll hear it everywhere and it will annoy you to no end what do you make of mary slash maria's comments regarding andre and his grief for his wife does it change how you feel about his upcoming wedding with natasha or about how he says he feels about Natasha. Oh, man, Andre and Natasha. Good match? It's really hard to say, isn't it? Are they a good match? Like, there's just a lot in the pros and the cons categories with these two. They're two great characters in this book. They're two, I don't know, decent people. So mismatched in a lot of ways, though. Warren Kovofi says, I was surprised to read Maya, of all people, is not keen on the prospect of Andre marrying Natasha. I noticed in her letter to Julie that she refers to their engagement as simply a rumour, and I'm wondering why. Is she really in the dark about the proposal? Yeah, I guess she is. Uh, was this only discussed between Andre and his dad? It's interesting to me that Andre has no support for this engagement within the ranks of his own family. Um, was I don't know if... Um, I think there might have been a little bit of a time skip there where the letter that Maya was writing was before Andre came back to discuss it with his dad. I think it might, we might have gone back a little bit. Maybe. I'm not actually sure. But that was... Some, I can't remember why, but I had that thought as I was reading it. Twisted Every Way says, I think Mary has quite the rosy view of her brother. While it's true that he was quite grieved after Lisa died... He certainly didn't treat her well before, yeah, that's for sure. He doesn't seem to have much interest in his son, though that seems somewhat normal of the times, and he's been floundering around for a career for a bit. I don't know if... Um, I do agree with all that, what you said, except for floundering around. I think he's been fairly career-focused, and um, I wouldn't say that his movements in his career have been floundering. It They seem quite direct, although he did kind of put it aside completely for a while there and then go back so maybe that's what you mean by the floundering does Maya even know Natasha says Twisted Every Way how would she if she's the kind of girl that, how would she know if she's the kind of girl Andre would like I think Mary will have a harder time seeing Andre move on than he will um I think it's just almost like an intelligence thing Maybe not intelligence is not the word, the word, but Andre just, is, just knows so much more about how the world works. Natasha is very naive to that stuff. Um, and I don't know, how would that be? How would it be to be so successful politically and militarily as Andre and then have this young wife who really has just come out of childhood and still actually acts quite childish and just wouldn't I don't think know anything about those matters um, 
it, it's almost like he's babysitting, you know, in a way. Um, so in though in that way, I feel like it's a real weird match. Anyway, let's continue. Chapter twenty six, which by the way is the last chapter of book six. So um, let's wrap up this section, hey. In the middle of the summer, Princess Mary received an unexpected letter from Prince Andre in Switzerland, in which he gave her strange and surprising news. He informed her of his engagement to Natasha Rostova. The whole letter breathed loving rapture for his betrothed and tender and confiding affection for his sister. He wrote that he had never loved as he did now, and that only now did he understand and know what life was. He asked his sister to forgive him for not having told her of his resolve when he had last visited Bald Hills, though he had spoken of it to his father. Oh, there you go. I was wrong. Apparently, he just kept it from her. and He had already visited. My mistake. Uh, he had not done so for fear Princess Mary should ask her father to give his consent, irritating him and having to bear the brunt of his displeasure without attaining her object. Besides, he wrote, the matter was not then so definitely settled as it is now. My father then insisted on a delay for a year, and now, already six months, half of that period, have passed. And my resolution is firmer than ever. If the doctors did not keep me here at the spas, I should be back in Russia. But as it is, I have to postpone my return for three months. You know me and my relations with father. I want nothing from him. I have been and always shall be independent, but to go against his will and arouse his anger... Now that, now that he may perhaps remain with us such a short time, would destroy half of my happiness. I am now writing to him about the same question and beg you to choose a good moment to hand him the letter and not let me know how he looks at the whole matter and whether there... Oh, sorry, and to let me know how he looks at the whole matter and whether there is hope that he may consent to reduce the term by four months. After long hesitations, doubts and prayers, Princess Mary gave the letter to her father. The next day the old prince said to her quietly, Write and tell your brother to wait till I am dead. It won't be long. I shall soon set him free. The princess was about to reply, but her father would not let her speak, and raising his voice more and more, he cried, Mary, marry, marry, my boy. A good family, clever people, eh? Rich, eh? Yes, a nice stepmother, little Nicholas, will have right and tell him that he may marry tomorrow if he likes. She will be little Nicholas's stepmother, and I'll marry Boreen. Ha ha ha! He mustn't be without a stepmother either. Only one thing, no more women are wanted in my house. Let him marry and live by himself. Perhaps you will go and live with him too, he added, turning to Princess Mary. Go in heaven's name. Go out into the frost, the frost, the frost. After this outburst, the prince did not speak any more about the matter, but repressed vexation at his son's poor spirit of behaviour found expression in his treatment of his daughter. To his former pretext for irony, a fresh one was now added, allusions to stepmothers and amiabilities to Mademoiselle Boreen. "'Why shouldn't I marry her?' he asked his daughter. "'She'll make a splendid princess.' And latterly, to her surprise and bewilderment, Princess Mary noticed that her father was really associating more and more with the Frenchwoman. She wrote to Prince André about the reception of his letter, but comforted him with hopes of reconciling their father to the idea. Little Nicholas and his education, her brother Andrew and religion, were, pre were, pre were Princess Mary's joys and consolations. 
But besides that, since everyone must have personal hopes, Princess Mary, in the proudest depths of her heart, had a hidden dream and hope that supplied the cheap consolation of her life. This comforting dream and hope were given her by God's folk to the half-witted and other pilgrims who visited her without the prince's knowledge. The longer she lived, the more experience and observation she had in life, the greater was her wonder at the short-sightedness of men who seek enjoyment and happiness here on earth, toiling, suffering, struggling and harming one another to obtain that impossible, visionary, sinful happiness. Prince Andre had loved his wife, she died, but that was not enough. He wanted to bind his happiness to another woman. Her father objected to this because he wanted a more distinguished and wealthier match for Andre. And they all struggled and suffered and tormented one another and injured their souls, their eternal souls, for the attainment of benefits which endured but for an instant. Not only do we know this ourselves, but Christ, the Son of God, came down to earth and told us that this life is but for a moment and is a probation, yet we cling to it and think to find happiness in it. How is it that no one realises this, thought Princess Mary. No one expect, no one except these despised God's folk who, wallet on back, come to me by the back door, afraid of being seen by the prince, not for fear of ill usage by him, but for fear of causing him to sin. To leave family home and all the cares of worldly welfare in order to, without clinging to anything, to wander in hempen rags from place to place under an assumed name, doing no one any harm but praying for all. For those who drive one away, as well as for those who protect one, higher than that life. And truth, there is no life or truth. There was one pilgrim, a quiet, pockmarked little woman of fifty called Theodosia, who for over thirty years had gone about barefoot and worn heavy chains. Princess Mary was particularly fond of her. Once, when in a room with a lamp dimly lit before the icon, Theodosia was talking of her life. The thought that Theodosia alone had found the true path of life suddenly came to Princess Mary with such force that she resolved to become a pilgrim herself. When Theodosia had gone to sleep, Princess Mary thought about this for a long time, and at last made up her mind that, strange as it might seem, she must go on a pilgrimage. She disclosed this thought to no one but to her confessor, Father Akinfi, the monk, and he approved of her intention. Under guise of a present for the pilgrims, Princess Mary prepared a pilgrim's complete costume for herself, a coarse smock, bast shoes, a rough coat, and a black kerchief. Often approaching the chest of drawers containing this secret treasure, Princess Mary paused, uncertain whether the time had not already come to put her project into execution. Often, listening to the pilgrim's tales, she was so stimulated by their simple speech, mechanical to truth, but to her so full of deep meaning, that several times she was on the point of abandoning everything and running away from home. In imagination, she already pictured herself by Theodosia's side, dressing in coarse rags, walking with a staff, a wallet on her back, along the dusty road, directing her wanderings from one saint's shrine to another, free from envy, earthly love or desire, and reaching at last the place where there is no more sorrow or sighing, but eternal joy and bliss. I shall come to a place and pray there, and before having time to get used to it, or getting to love it, 
I shall go further. I will go on till my legs fail, and I'll lie down and die somewhere, and shall at last reach my eternal, quiet haven, where there is neither sorrow nor sighing, thought Princess Mary. But afterwards, when she saw her father, and especially little Coco, Nicholas, her resolve weakened. She wept quietly and felt that she was a sinner who loved her father and little nephew more than God. Alrighty, there we go. Chapter for you, Princess Maya. Having some feelings, having some deep musings. And that's it, that's book six. Book seven starts tomorrow. Exciting, exciting times. All right, thanks for listening, guys. Have your say about that chapter and about book six in general. And I'll catch you tomorrow.